The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. High school sweethearts Derek and Linda Yancey were the picture-perfect couple, respected members of their local sheriff's department, two children, and living a happy life in an upscale neighborhood in Stone Mountain, Georgia. That image was suddenly shattered when Linda was shot and killed in her basement during a renovation. I'm Vinny Politan, and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. This week, we're diving deeper into this case with an audio edition of our original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall. Was Linda killed during a home invasion, as her husband Derek claimed, or was her killer someone close to home? This episode is entitled Deadly DIY. Have a listen. This is the Court TV Podcast. Derek and Linda Yanti were respected members of DeKalb County's Sheriff's Department and husband and wife. The high school sweethearts had two children and lived in the upscale Stone Mountain neighborhood. They were a model of success. But on June 9th, 2008, Linda was murdered in a bizarre robbery witnessed by Derek, who killed the perpetrator. Questions immediately began to swirl around the strange tale of a robbery gone terribly wrong. Linda and Derek Yancey both were already working at the DeKalb County Sheriff's Office when I was elected. Linda was assigned as a detention officer in the jail, and Derek was a deputy sheriff assigned to the field division. And they lived in a nice upper-middle-class neighborhood, very stable neighborhood. Well, Linda was real fun, fun-loving person, outgoing, always smiling. She was a happy person. Was a great worker, though I never worked side by side with her. I knew of her work ethics and whatnot. I knew Derek from a common friend. Derek was really a nice guy. Derek was the kind of individual that he loved working in his yard, and it was not unusual for him to spend hours manicuring his yard. If they had a yard of the month in his neighborhood, they would win the yard of the month every month. And so because he would always rely on day laborers, he spoke Spanish very fluently. What did you hear? Like three gunshots. When? 145. And we come outside because we heard a big boom. And we thought like, like, like somebody dropped somebody. It was like actually a gunshot. We heard the echo. The scene was a, a residence. It was located in Stowe Mountain portion of DeKalb County, unincorporated. There were multiple law enforcement agencies on scene, meaning DeKalb Police, DeKalb County Sheriff's Department, 
Initially, investigator Greg Johns walked in to do an assessment, and we both entered the scene, walked into the rear door of the residence, and saw the remains of Mr. Cox Pullock to the right, lying in close proximity to a treadmill. Further across the room was the, the remains of Miss Yancey. Uh, lying on her back. She's got obvious gunshot wounds to her chest that we noted, and there's blood evidence on both sides of the doorway where she was observed lying. There was a gun noted in proximity to Mr. Gox Pullock. It was a revolver. We later identified it as a 357 Magnum, silver in color. In Derek Yancey's statement to the police, he started that day with the intention to do some landscaping, and so he picked up a day laborer, Marcia Cox Pullock, they went to Home Depot, they bought the supplies, came back to the house and did the yard work. They were downstairs at the basement level. Linda came, she was leaving to go run some errands. And as Derek and Linda were exchanging money, Mr. Cax Pollux had produced a gun and tried to take the cash. And that's when the shots were fired. And according to Derek, that's when Linda was struck, and then he shot Mr. Cax Pullux. So he admitted that he had shot the laborer, but said he only did that because he was basically standing his ground because this laborer had shot his wife. Our role on scene is working in a symbiotic relationship with law enforcement. We're specifically looking for cause and manner of death. What we're trying to ascertain is if there are injuries that the decedent may have suffered or didn't suffer, and does the evidence on scene align itself with the injuries sustained by one or more, more victims. I worked with these officers. It was unbelievable. It did hurt personally, and it, it hurt a lot of us because it was just so hard to believe, and it's still hard to comprehend. I mean, there was a, a outpouring of sympathy for Derek, and of course they had a, a son, and then of course there was the neighborhood who was just shocked by this because they knew the Yancey, Knew him as a wonderful family. It was very personal. I knew of Linda, and the conversation I had with her in passing, if I was at the courthouse or saw somewhere, was always pleasant conversations. And even with Derek, you know, when we talked, you know, we, we laughed and it cut up and things of that nature. And uh, man, it was just unreal. Fortunately for me, my agency was not the lead agency in the investigation of the killing itself. So I was able to devote 100% of my time to the emotional stability of my employees, encouraging them to express whatever feelings they may have. We understand the level of scrutiny we're gonna get from both the courts, families, and of course the media. Everybody wants to know what took place. So we go out of our way to be as detailed as possible. We try not to draw any conclusions before we have all the facts in hand. The police chief, Terrell Bolton, gave me a call to give me an update of what had taken place at the house. And he indicated to me that the crime scene did not match what was being told to the investigators of what happened there. Just somehow didn't seem right. I knew some of the guys who worked that case under the police department who were detectives, and a lot of the stuff just didn't jive or sound right at all. And we in the sheriff's office start speculating, like, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. The next day, I went to the home of uh, Derek Yancey. He was at his mother's house, and I wanted to pay my respects and check on him. I walked into a bedroom, and 
Derek is there on the bed, pretty much in fetal position, laying down. And I walked in and immediately looked at him and said, Derek, how are you doing? And he immediately started telling me what happened. This, this is Derek's story. Derek goes to hand Linda some money, and upon doing so, the day laborer immediately pulls out a gun and shoots Linda in the chest, almost point blank, which started another gunfight between Derek and the day laborer. Derek was able to get one or two shots into the killer and then call 911. Derek was very composed as he's telling the story. He was very by the book, very emotionless, which was a really strange thing considering that his wife had just been killed. Derek is explaining this to me and I'm listening. And the whole time I'm saying, that's not what I asked him. And so I said to him, well, Derek, I want you to take care of yourself, but I need you to come down to the um, headquarters and speak to the internal affairs investigators within the next 48 hours. There's actually two investigations that take place. One, the shooting of Linda Yancey and the day labor, and an internal investigation with him using his firearm. And if it was just causing using that weapon, two different sets of detectives. Well, we left. We got in the car. I looked at my chief deputy and I said to him, that is what we call a spontaneous statement. And a spontaneous statement can be used against him. He just made me a witness to a criminal case. And within 15 minutes, I had an investigator in my office where I was dictating a statement to him. The community was in shock, but people in the Criminal Investigation Division of the Police Department, we knew there was a more sinister motive that was brewing in this pot. In the wake of Linda Yancey's murder, the police investigation begins to question her husband Derek's version of events. And as investigators look into the Yancey marriage, it's clear that there were signs of discord in the home. The entire department just flabbergasted by this whole ordeal. Uh, no one could believe, could believe that that actually happened. As far as that relationship, have you guys ever had any falling outs together? You were Linda? Yeah. Never. Would you consider yourself best friends at this point? We're uh, godparents to each other's Okay. I remember us talking about her getting separate life insurance for the children so that they could have it to prevent anything happened to her. That was just a couple months ago, I believe. This is so much to the story that uh, the question could not be answered to the investigator's satisfaction. How, if you were the man of the house, not know that this small frame individual somehow had gotten your gun off of the refrigerator, why would day laborer go for the weakest person first and not the strongest person? Hey, my husband, my wife. I haven't, I haven't heard yet, Mr. Yancey. Somebody called my wife's mother, my, my mother. Yeah. Yeah, we can. So what, what should we do? Just go to the house. I talked to some of the detectives who was down the scene that particular morning, and his demeanor. They didn't see a, a husband just breaking down and losing it. And 
and crying him. His wife just been murdered, and then he just had to kill a guy, you know. And what emotions I, that, you know, that should bring to an individual. They saw none of that, none of it. A lot of people who were there at the homegoing celebration, they were trying to celebrate her life, but there was almost a level of, I would say, resignation that she's in a better place, which is not something you would see with a brutal murder that just had happened. 99.9% .9 of the people attending the funeral didn't have a clue what I knew. They honestly believe that this was a tragedy where Derek was unable to save his wife who was killed by a complete stranger who was there allegedly just to do some yard work. There was a lot of, lot of sad people there and, and a lot of people who were there that loved Linda. A lot of the people she went to school with came to the funeral also. Derek was sitting on the front row and when the funeral is about to be over with, everyone on the, in the dais will get up and they would only the front row just go down and shake and hug each person. Yancey was the last person that I got to. And when I got to him, I reached out for his hand and we made eye contact. And he's looking at me and his body language is saying, I know you know more than, than you should know. And I'm saying to him with my eye contact, you know I know you're the perpetrator. I mean, it was that type of look. For us to marriage go, there were rumors uh, that there were some difficulties taking place. Didn't really know a lot about that, but I did hear there were some problems and that she wanted out uh, of the marriage. Linda didn't tell me about him putting hands on her. I know the verbal abuse was there. I know that she had mentioned before, you don't know Derek. That's what she would say. You don't know Derek. I had another employee to come to me months earlier and express a concern that she believed that Linda and Derek was having some marital problems, and she accused Derek of physically abusing Linda. There was nothing consistent about what was relayed to us from Deputy Yancey that was consistent with what we saw on scene. From our perspective, there was a single shooter in the home. Mrs. Yancey was shot in close proximity. The physical evidence supported that. Mr. Cox Bullet was shot initially at a distance and then subsequently shot in close proximity. Marcel was a small guy and he was hired at a gas station just to do some day labor work. The problem with that is that he had a very different body type than Derek had. So he would have been shooting from a different angle, he would have been lower, he would have been wirier. So the cops start saying, these angles don't make sense. These ballistics don't make sense. Where the bullets hit, how close they hit, none of this makes sense with the story that we're being told. The DA's office took the case before a grand jury and Yancey was indicted on two counts of murder. Prosecutors wouldn't say much about the case. There will be evidence as to a motive. Yancey's attorney says police and prosecutors have it all wrong. He says his client, who resigned from the sheriff's office, is innocent, and his story will hold up in court. Mr. Yancey's innocent. It, it was just so hard to believe and to understand the impact, which at the time I was a senior public defender. I worked with these officers who investigated the case. 
And so my mind was all over the place. Do I not believe these officers? But I do believe them. I've worked with them on, on tons of cases. When it hit the news, it was big news. The community was in shock. The law enforcement community was shocked. But people in the Criminal Investigation Division of the Police Department, we knew there was a more sinister uh, motive that was brewing in this pot. She also confided to me a while back that they was trying to get a um, policy on her. She told you she was serious when she said that he took her life and she policy on her six months to a year ago. She was, she was in a serious conversation. Linda's life was insured for $700,000, and that was money that they needed. This family was in some real financial trouble, and that's something that the cops will always look at. Who's gonna benefit financially from this murder? Nobody called to report Derek was gone. No one at the courthouse was on duty. This is a guy who could be anywhere at this point, and nobody had any clue where he'd go. As police officer Derek Yancey is charged and jailed for the murder of his wife, Linda, the state begins to build a case against him. Investigators discover long-simmering conflicts between the couple that may have led to Linda's murder. The bail is set at $150,000, which he can get together, and he gets out of jail. And they put an ankle monitor on him, and they uh, take him to his mother's house. That's where he's staying. And everything's fine f at first until the ankle bracelet is cut, and he disappears. Nobody called to report Derek was gone. No one at the courthouse in the section that is designed to monitor the ankle bracelet that Derek was wearing was on duty. And they did not know until they came to work that Monday morning and saw that there was an alert that his bracelet had in fact been cut and his family never said a word. So he had a good 12 hour jump on us. And I really believe in my heart, he didn't think it was gonna be a rest. I think he thought his story was good and that you know he could fly by with that. And once he was arrested and he realized that, hey, look, this, this is real. And I really believe personally that Derek started planning that escape when he was arrested. So getting home with mom and the whole nine yard was just planning and planning and planning because it went too smooth. It went too smooth. I was thinking he's on his way to Mexico. He wants out of the country. He speaks Spanish very fluently. I can't think of any other place that he can go. We learned that day that he had taken all of his money out of the pension fund. So he was sitting on somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty dollars or $30,000. If there's one thing I know about cops, they hate it when you jump bail. So any goodwill that he may have had from his years on the force, that was gone. You know, we started in the house where was that with, with mom and everybody else and the relatives or friends we knew that he may have had contact with. So he had plenty of time to get away, and that started a manhunt. So it turned from a very local search to really an international search, because this is a guy who could be anywhere at this point, and nobody had any clue where he'd go. We have uh, footage of him 
purchasing a ticket. A couple of hours after deputies say Derek Yancey cut off his ankle monitor. That's Yancey right there. Surveillance video shows him arriving at the Greyhound bus station in Atlanta. He seems to have altered his appearance. We believe Mr. Yancey to be somewhere between Phoenix and Los Angeles, uh, possibly Mexico. We learn months later that he was hiding out uh, in Belize thanks to some investigative work from the U.S. Marshal Service and another person who to this day we have not revealed who received a reward who had information that Derek had in fact been calling certain family members so we was able to ping the telephone. Derek ran low on funds and, and wanted to know if some monies could be sent to him. That caller gave us the number, and they were able to trace and track that number uh, to Belize. Contact was made, you know, with authorities down there. I think there was a bartender involved that Derek used to frequent, you know, I guess go out and have drinks or whatever. We had uh, the marshal's unit, and uh, our unit went down and shown up. He was there. Uh, he was taken into custody down there. He was brought back to me, and I the one took him back to the Cal County Jail. Some time had passed, so now he's an inmate, and people saw him for just what he was, an inmate. He came back to the jail a different person. He was much harder, so he knew now that he was not going to be given the pass as a past brother law enforcement officer. He's Derek Yancey inmate, and that's how he was treated. After he was apprehended, from a perspective of being a defense attorney and what we were going to have to deal with, the why didn't matter. I don't know that there's a positive spin that can be put on fleeing the country and becoming an international fugitive. I think that our best spin was going to be that he was scared. On June 9th, 2008, Linda Yancey was executed by this man, her husband, Derek Yancey. I'm confident that you will see that Mr. Yancey is an innocent man. A year after being apprehended in Belize, Derek Yancey is in court to face the inevitable. Two murder charges in the death of his wife, Linda, and day laborer, Marcel Cax-Pulak. Prosecutors claim he staged the crime scene to look like a robbery. Convincing a jury may not be as easy. Are we ready to get started? I believe all of the jurors are here. Let's to bring the panel out. Linda Nancy was born on June 20th of 1961. On June 9th of 2008, Linda Nancy was executed by this man, her husband, Derek Yancey. She was executed by the man that she'd given children to. One of the last things that Linda Yancey would see was this man with the handgun pointing point blank at her. The last thing she would hear would be the explosion of that gun as it hurled bullets towards her. And Linda Yancey laid there on the floor in her basement, and Linda Yancey took her last breath. I was assigned the case, but our office had spent a lot of money and a lot of years sending me to specific training. So on one hand, this was the case I've been waiting for. 
And on the other hand, I'm completely in disbelief that this is the case I've been waiting for. Derek Anthony is an absent man. He's before you today as a result of several intersecting tragic events. The first tragic event was that Marcial Katz Pullup decided on that day to fill a need and brought Mr. Yance's wife, Linda. The second intersecting tragic event that leads us here today is the police department's attitude towards Mr. Yancey from the get-go. He didn't have to talk to them that day. And when you've heard all the evidence and you've heard from all the witnesses and you've had a chance to deliberate, I'm confident that you will see that Mr. Yancey is an innocent man. I think the prosecution's strategy was to keep their strategy as well concealed as they could until the very last minute. I say that because I remember the witness list being several hundred names long, and they ended up only calling about 25. That is a common strategy to try to hide the ball, keep you guessing, make you stretch yourself too thin so you're not quite sure what's going on. Were you able to take a statement from Mr. Yancey on June 9th of 2008? Yes. And when he signed the statement, you noticed something on his hands? Correct. Could not immediately tell what it was. There small dots looked like some type of possibly either a skin pigmentation or possibly blood spatter. We had the testing done, had the blood collected, tested, and it came up positive or presumptive for blood. And that was also collected and he was photographed. Now, were you also shown photographs of uh, blood patterns located on the defendant? Yes, sir. And you give me 46 and 47. Were you shown those two photographs? Yes, sir. If a shooter was standing over the decedent when that shot was delivered, would you expect to see some of this blood to get on them, possibly, if they were in the pattern? Yes, sir. Would you be surprised if there was no blood on them? Yes, sir. This particular case sticks with me because of the forensic evidence that helped draw conclusions that what took place. Uh, because it was involving law enforcement officer, it kind of stays with you. Ma'am, how are you employed? I'm a 911 operator. And how long have you been with 911? Five years. Okay, were you in fact a 911 operator on June 9th, 2008? Yes. experience, is it unusual for someone to walk away in the middle of CPR? Yes. Thank you, ma'am. Okay, you're familiar with the chest wounds of Linda Yancey, correct? Correct. If chest compressions had been performed, would you expect more blood to be evident? If you were to be pumping on her chest, there should have been blood spewing up out of this huge defect where the 
contact gunshot wound was, plus the other gunshot wound that was uh, in the left upper breast area. There should be much more blood than we see here. Can you venture an opinion whether you believe CPR was performed on Lindy Yancey? Well, if you were to just show me this picture and ask me if CPR was done, I would say no. The medical examiner was definitely the most impactful witness against us, and I believe that that had a major impact on the jury. Given the nature of the wounds, do you think there's any way CPR could have been performed with that little bit of blood? You know, I never say never or always, but this would be pretty close to that. I, I can't see how CPR could have been done knowing the nature of her wounds, the amount of blood in her chest, and see this particular picture. What the prosecutors did a real good job of driving home was the fact that she was shot point-blank range in the heart, destroyed her heart. It was blood all over the crime scene, but there was no blood on Derek Yancey because he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything to save her. Boom. She's shot in the chest. She goes to her rear end. What he did was he walked up. He took her head. He did this. He put the gun here, and he fired. Now, you look at that diagram. It's, it's here, or right here. And it comes out here. Her head's tilted. Why is her head tilted? Because he's right-handed. But why did he do that? For the same reason he put the gun next to Marcial's left hand. He wants to distract from the possibility that it's him even further by making the left-handed shooter. So what did that do? If we sit here and do this, look at his leg. He goes to the head, he puts the gun, boom. It goes in here, it comes out her ear. What does that do? It puts, look at his hand. It puts the high velocity right there. It puts the high velocity right here. It puts it on the wall. She falls back. Does a robber now who wants the money who has another person right here, a larger male, ignore him, step up, shove the weapon into her chest, and fire one more time? Why even fire the second shot if what he wanted was money? No, the defendant did that. Because his motive was not money. His motive was murder. Did Linda ever tell you anything pertaining to her domestic relationship with Derek Yancey? She told me that he would shoot her and he would kill her. Derek Yancey's defense that day laborer Marcel Kaxpulak had killed Linda Yancey during a robbery had never changed since her death. Derek's defense team had to convince the jury that Cax Pulak's outstanding debt owed to a coyote was a powerful motive for murder. As an experienced attorney, I never asked my clients what happened that night. I asked my clients, what have you already said to the police and what do they already have? on record. 
there was already a very lengthy recorded statement and that's where we started from. The strategy was self-defense. The motive that they were trying to say was that uh, Marcel owed about $6,000 to whoever had brought him into the country. That was the motive that they came up with. The method that you came into the country was the same as Mr. Pulak, correct? Y la manera como usted llegó al país fue la misma manera como llegó el señor Pulak, ¿verdad? Así es. That's right. So you also um, paid $6,000. Entonces usted también pagó $6,000. $6,000. Sí, $6,000. Yes, $6,000. To a person called a coyote. A una persona que le llaman el coyote. Así es. That's right. And you said if the money is not paid back, Y usted dijo que si ustedes no pagan el dinero, that person takes your family's home. Esa persona le quita la casa de su familia. Así es. That's right. They had to try and make Marcel look like a desperate man who needed money. That's what the whole defense was based on, that he robbed this woman and then ended up getting shot in the process. But his roommate testified that, no, that's not what was going on. Did Marcel owe someone money in Guatemala? Y Marcial le debía a alguien dinero allá en Guatemala. Sí, seis mil dólares. Yes, six thousand dollars. Was that person bothering Marcial for that money? Y esa persona estaba molestando a Marcial por ese dinero. No. No. If Marcial had trouble paying the money, would they give him more time? Y si Marcial tuviera problemas para pagar ese dinero, le darían más tiempo. Sí. Yes. Even if he did owe $6,000, that doesn't immediately turn you into a murderer. It really felt like they were just trying to cook up a motive. Was Marcial right-handed or left-handed? Y Marcial era zurdo o derecho? Derecho. Right-handed. The break in the case was when investigators made contact with Mr. Caxpullock's family, and roommate and found out that he was right-handed. The weapon at the scene was near his left hand. So based on the crime scene photos, we can't dispute where the gun was. The only thing we could possibly dispute is whether that was his dominant hand or not. You familiar with Deputy Yancey? I am, yes. You see him in court today, sir? He is. Could you point him out for the jurors? Yes, he's the uh, second gentleman from the uh, left. I think Sheriff Brown was probably the most important witness to actually testify. First of all, he's highly respected. He doesn't have a reason to lie about this. And he talked with Derek. He said then the gentleman that was with him pulled out a gun and said something to the effect, give it up. And that's when Linda was shot. So he was able to get his weapon out, and by that time, the gentleman that he had brought with him into the basement turned his attention toward Yancey, and they were firing at each other. Then that resulted in him uh, uh, killing the gentleman. When I testified against him, and he gave me a spontaneous statement uh, in his bedroom, I looked directly at him. He looked at me at first, and then he looked down. I think it was more in the way, why do I even need to look at you? You're going to say what you're going to say anyway. Did Linda ever tell you anything pertaining to her domestic relationship with Derek Yancey? She was upset with uh, him, and she was told me that um, he would shoot her and he would kill her. Did she appear to be afraid to you? Yes. 
She didn't say he threatened to shoot her. She said she thought he would, right? She just stated to me that he would shoot her. That's what she stated to me. And that's all she said about it. And that he would kill her. Now, prior to moving out, were your parents having marital problems? Yes, sir. Were they physical fights or just arguments? Arguments. Did you ever hear your father talk about getting a divorce? Yes, sir. How often? In terms of the forensic evidence going into closing arguments, the strategy was to explain to the jurors why there were some inconsistencies. There was a lot of information, a lot of moving parts happening at the same time. So we were trying to paint the picture that this was a very chaotic scene and his attention to detail and his attention to the surroundings was distracted. Why did he kill Linda? Why? There's no motive. But let's talk about who does have a motive. Marcy Arcax, pull up. He had a motive to rob. There is all kinds of reasonable doubt in this case. The state has not proven to you anything that they set out to prove to you. Their roadmap has led you nowhere, except to not guilty. You've been given a lot of evidence in a very short period of time. You've been given a lot of scientific evidence. It's gonna overwhelmingly point to this defendant. It's not gonna point to Marcia. I ask you to do justice. You took an oath to do justice for Linda's family and Marcel's family. I'm simply asking you to hold the person that took that from you and took it from Linda accountable. Thank you. I do want the jury to decide on your foreperson initially, get organized, and try to begin your deliberations. Any questions? All right, retire to the jury room. The jury's verdict is as follows. We, the jury, count one, malice, murder, find the defendant, Derek Yancey, Two and a half years after the murder of Linda Yancey and Marcel Cax Pulak, Derek Yancey's trial came to a close. The opportunity to explain away the evidence had ended, and the former DeKalb County deputy was about to learn his fate. The jury has stayed out for so long, I really started to then become hopeful that this would end in an acquittal or at the very least, a mistrial, a hung jury, maybe. All right, good afternoon, everyone. Ms. Whitmullen and Mr. Gary. All right, the jury has made a decision in this case. I believe we have all of the jurors and the alternates. I was in the courtroom when the jury came back with a verdict. In fact, I was sitting almost directly behind him, and it was pretty clear what was going to happen. Mr. Yancey, if you would stand for the reading of the verdict, please. The jury's verdict is as follows. Uh, we, the jury, count one, malice, murder, find the defendant, Derek Yancey, guilty. Count two, malice, murder, we, the jury, find the defendant, Derek Yancey, guilty. Everyone expected this verdict. It was hush quiet at the end. Derek just held his head down. Mr. Yancey will be escorted uh, from the courtroom by the deputies. When the judge finished, he uh, placed him back under the custody of the sheriff. The deputies walked over there who have worked with him for years. 
and had him to stand up, put the handcuffs on him, and led him out of the courtroom. He was treated like any other inmate, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't mistreated, nor was he given any uh, special privileges. I had been moved to the jail as one of the shift commanders. And he spoke through the door and, and tried to convince me that he didn't do it, uh, that it happened just like he said. This guy tried to rob him, Linda intervened, he killed Linda, I killed him. And the last, and the last time I saw him, he was still sticking to that same story. Mr. Yancey, I've known you for a long time, probably as long as I've been in the courthouse. Um, I do want to express my condolences to the family members, everyone who's here. On June 9, 2008, an officer fell that day, Ms. Yancey. She was an officer. She was a wife. She was a mother. She was a daughter. She was a sister. She was a friend. Mr. Cash Pulak, who had barely begun to live his life, he died that day. And is also not lost on the court, and probably yourself, that today an officer has fallen. Um, because you were a law enforcement officer. The judge knew him. The judge says to him, I've known you for so many years. Everybody, the bailiffs, everybody there in that courtroom knew Derek. Well, Mr. Yancey, as to count one, which involves the conviction of malice murder, as to Ms. Linda Yancey, I am going to impose the mandatory sentence required under Georgia law of life in prison. Two consecutive life sentences plus five years is pretty much the worst. I believe it could have been life without parole. That's the only thing worse is no guarantee of parole. Count two, the conviction for malice murder of Mr. Cash Pulak. Once again, uh, the law requires a mandatory life sentence. And I do feel it is appropriate, Mr. Yancey, to have count two run consecutive with uh, count one um, for each life that was taken in this very tragic event. It always is worse when it's one of your own. It's more tragic when you know the spouse and the husband and they both work with you day in and day out. Derek was a good deputy and that's where Derek let down the agency, let down his family. So it's just a tragedy all the way around. Sad, sad tragedy. You also have the right, Mr. Yancey, to file a motion for new trial or a notice of appeal. Do you have any questions, Mr. Yancey? No, yeah. All right, good luck, Mr. Yancey. Thank you. Derek hired a new lawyer who basically said that his old lawyers should have objected to some of the things that he said during the police interview. They were actually saying that he didn't have an adequate defense, and that didn't really go anywhere. Everything that we objected to, we objected prior to trial in writing, and none of those issues were violated. It's a matter of having to pick and choose. So you can't object to every little thing because then it comes across to the jury as you're being defensive unnecessarily. I never would have believed you know, Daryl could do something like that, and especially to a person like Linda. Well, Daryl was a good officer. So, you know, losing both of them was crazy. And, and, and not just Linda, the other young man also that was involved in that. Uh, it was just crazy. He got what he deserved. He's in jail for the rest of his life. He envisioned he was going to get a life insurance policy, that he would get custody of his son, 
that the young man from Central America that was killed would be named the killer and he'll go on and live happily ever after. The way he had envisioned this just simply was not gonna happen. Derek Yancey is currently incarcerated at Long State Prison in Ludowisi, Georgia. The life insurance policy Derek hoped to collect on went to the couple's two boys who've been raised by Linda's family. Derek will be 111 before he's eligible for parole. I'm Tamron Hall. Thanks for watching Someone They Knew. There you have it, another audio edition of the Court TV original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall. If you want to see more of our original series, they are available to stream for free on our website. Just check the show notes for a link. And you can see me on my show, Closing Arguments, where we dive deeper into the biggest current true crime stories every weeknight at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.